Welcome to the Black Factor, where perspective is everything. And I'm your host, Brian Forbes. Good evening, good evening, good evening. I'm your host, Brian Forbes, and this is the Black Factor. And tonight, we have an incredibly special show and a very entertaining show. Ladies and gentlemen, let me start by saying we're going to speak today to one of the most impactful, prolific artists of our time. He is what I would like to refer to as a cultural icon. And he is one of those people who has created an incredible amount of work in the area of art and in the influence of black culture. And I promise you, there is no possible way. And I, I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm gonna tell y'all like this. He and I have been friends for a very long time. And I've been around since the beginning of his career. And I want to let you know that it was very difficult for me to be able to harness my thoughts and the body of work. This man has an incredible catalog of work. Many of you are not familiar with his old work, and many of you are not familiar with his new work. So today we're going to kind of tie the knot. We're going to put things together. We're going to show you how all of these things came to pass and going to get some insight as to where it all started, where it all is, and how it's going. The inspiration that you're about to receive is going to be off the scale. As much as his work changes people's lives and gives people inspiration, they wake up every morning and look on a wall and see a piece of artwork that gives them life. This show is going to provide you with some of that. Let me start by saying also that this is a guy who, in my best opinion, kind of reinvented the game. He gave the art game new life. He breathed air into a medium of art in the black community that I personally think was on life support. To be honest, there were times where I realized he had a hard time getting into the game because people always want to try and validate other people. And the amazing thing is that when you realize that you don't need other people to validate you and you validate yourself and you put yourself in the game and you don't wait for others, you become a beast at what you do. And not only did he have to become a beast at his craft because he learned his craft incredibly well. He studies his craft still to this day. Here we are 40 years later almost, and he still studies his craft like he's a new student. But not only did he become a beast at art, he became a beast as a businessman. And that is what made the difference. You can be a great artist, but if you don't know how to get what you do to the people, it doesn't mean much. Just know this guy wrote the blueprint. You wanna know how the game goes? Be able to read this blueprint. This man's a father, a husband, and an artist. The gatekeeper of soul. So let me introduce to you my main man, Kevin. Y'all know him as Wack Williams. Good evening, my brother. It's good to see you. Um, I'm honored to have you on the show, and we look forward to uh, just chopping it up, man. Let's, uh, you know, yeah. let's do what we do. I'm honored to be here, B. <laughs> <laughs> my man, my man. Well, you know, I mentioned to uh, the audience coming in that you and I have been kind of kicking it around with each other for a very long time. And, you know, I, I want to start. I really, really, really want to start from the very beginning because I really don't believe, you know, a lot of these artists and these people out here in the world, they really don't understand that you didn't just show up one day and all of a sudden things went well. I think they need to understand the amount of work that went into this. This was not a this wasn't a fly-by-night, overnight, 
you went through a, you you had a lot of slings and arrows. You know, you had a lot of trials and tribulations, a lot of losses, a lot of successes. But it, it you know it all came with where you are, and you definitely have earned your spot. Give us some insight about your beginnings. Well, you know, with um, you know coming up in Chicago, it's a it's a very truthful environment. Absolutely. So you really can't develop at something and not feel the pressure of it really being really good. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to let you know in real time who they know who is better than you. Off top. Um, <laughs> right to your face. You know Straight what I'm up. saying? <laughs> so it's, 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 it's on one end, there's a, there's a point where you're trying to develop your talent. And then on the second end where you need that, um, that reassurance, you're not going to get that because you're trying. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that type of environment. It wasn't that type of uh, world at that time. And so you had to, like, there's such a convenience now with uh, uploading an image to your phone, people see it. And that's a that's a beautiful blessing for creatives in every field. Uh, back then, you would have to actually put that work in front of people. So you had to physically go viral. So if you can imagine going and hitting all those people that like something that you post, like you had to go in front of all those people and say, what you think? You know, so that's, that's yeah, that, that, that was, that was hustle man days. That was wearing out yeah. that shoe leather days right there. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so my beginnings uh, were in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up near 87th street, East 87th street, the black business district back then. Let's not forget the palace. We can't forget the mighty V, the blue and the gold, oh, Chicago yeah. vocational, C4L. That's 87th Street, y'all. Okay. Yeah, but we go, we go all the way to the Anthony Wing then. So <laughs> all right. Gotta go all the way there. And we actually have quite a few of our uh, old classmates on the line on this show okay. today. They're, they're, they're in. They're tuned in. Yeah, so, okay, well, freshman orientation changed my life. I think we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,400 freshmen. And I remember when they made that announcement on the mic that there were 2,400 freshmen. And I said to myself, well, damn, you know, I'm going to have to stand out here. We're not even talking about the rest of the world. Like, how do I even get some traction here? Hmm, absolutely. 2,400 freshmen, talented freshmen. Absolutely. In all different aspects of talent. And so I wasn't initially trying to be an artist. Uh, my major was architectural drafting. And basically, I got discovered by the heating and air conditioning uh, instructor, Mr. Schlesinger. Really? I never knew that. Huh. That's so interesting. I drifted off in class and started drawing. He asked me what I was doing. I said, yeah, I'm doing some drawings. He's like, yeah, the art department is directly across the hall, which it was. Huh. And he said, you know, they draw over there. We over here studying heating and air conditioning. He said, since you like to draw so much, I need you to draw a picture of my dog. And um, I won't give you an F on this on this, uh, on this this day, this work we doing, right? Wow. So I did a drawing of his dog. He took it across the hall to Mr. Johnson, Robert Johnson, the commercial yeah. art department. Mr. Johnson says, let me talk to him. I think this kid's got some talent. I told him to tell Mr. Johnson I wasn't interested in being no artist. I said, they don't make any money. Back here. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they call them starving artists, right? <laughs> right. I'm going to go to DeVry like everybody else. <laughs> you know? 
Cause they running, they were running their commercials real hard back in the eighties. Yeah, they were. And um, so he had me come over to the art department, and they would do life drawing where they would have one of the students sit on a platform, and we would draw them while they're sitting there. I had never done this before, so he sits me on this stool, gives me this uh, newsprint pad, excuse me, and some charcoal, and says, "Go ahead and draw the student. You got forty minutes." 25 minutes in, I said, well, I think that's that's all I got, right? Mm-hmm. So he asked me if I had any training. I said, no. He said, I'd like to speak with your parents. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> because my father was a mathematician. He was a teacher at Crane mm-hmm. on the west side. And so my father was just like, nah, you... You're going to go the architectural drafting route. You know, we're not interested. Not happening. Mm-hmm. Mr. Johnson got persistent. I need to talk to your parents. So we arrange everything. My parents come up to the school. My father tells them no in person. Right? <laughs> Straight to his face, Chicago style. <laughs> so Mr. Johnson is like, well, I think your son is a special talent. Let me work with him for a few months. I'm going to enter him in every competition that they have. He says... I think your son can get a, a full scholarship. Music so to your that ears. Word, that word scholarship changed <laughs> my father's mind. So in my junior year, Mr. Johnson entered me in everything. And I was doing extremely well. I was winning a majority of those uh, competitions, competed in scholastics, won a complete portfolio, gold key for my complete portfolio. But Mr. Johnson, a credit to him, understood my lack of passion for art. Mm-hmm. So he approached me from a perspective of you draw what you want to draw. And he taught me my fundamentals within me drawing the imagery that I wanted to draw. I wasn't interested in anything but drawing pretty women, cars, and black folks with money. That was <laughs> like all I wanted to draw. Uh-huh. And so he let me do my thing. And so we... um you know, kept building that into the senior year. And so in my senior year, uh, I ended up winning a national scholarship to the Art Students League of New York, where I ended up, based on some family conversation, I ended up having to turn down that scholarship, and I went to the Art Institute of Chicago, Mm -hmm. which was a great school. But at that time, I really was built up to go to New York. Like, everything... We had books in the classroom, in the shop that were illustrators, uh, society illustrator books. And all the top illustrators were in New York. And so that was my target. I wanted to be New York dope. I wanted to be the best of the best against anybody, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so I went to the Art Institute for a short period, transferred to Columbia, and then became a notorious college dropout. Um, (laughs) I worked at the post office for downtown post office for three months. My father's night that, job. That's a great, I just walked, and that's a great big post office too, that, that one down yeah. there in downtown Chicago. Right. So my father, he worked nights at the post office full time and then taught all day at Crane. So my father had pulled some strings, got me on temp at the post office. I entered the post office art competition. They had an art, art fair. Mm-hmm. I won the post office art fair. An old man I unloaded trucks with on the loading docks 
we were unloading Encyclopedia Britannicas back then. So that's oh, man. not a long time. You know that was a long time. That was the that was the the the, the YouTube of the, of the of the day. That was that was your uh, <laughs> right. Google Encyclopedia right, so, Britannica. These kids don't know nothing about that. <laughs> right, exactly. So I'm I'm dragging these heavy bags, these BMCs. I'm pulling them, lifting them out the floor. You know, unlocking them, pulling them to the front. We walking past each other in this dark truck, back and forth, back and forth. So this old man stops me halfway through the truck. It was like a like a Spike Lee movie. He stops me, puts his <laughs> hand out. He says, uh, he said, Young Blood. He said, I saw your artwork in the lobby. You know, congratulations on winning the art fair. Mm-hmm. I said, Thank you, sir. He kept walking, I kept walking. We passed each other a second time. He said, Hey, let me tell you something. He said, don't let this stepping stone be your gravestone. Mm, words of wisdom. I work from 11 at night to 7 in the morning. I stayed after work and waited for the office to open at 9. And I quit. Next morning, I quit. Walked away from it. My, yeah, my father lost it. He was like, you know how many people want to get on at the post office? I can't believe you done just threw away this job. And initially it was a rough patch, you know, because I was really bucking, you know, my father was a scholar, right. you know, so I'm bucking every which way well, you can I, buck. I, and I'm going to add this. Let me add, I, I, and I happen to know for uh, also that your your mother was an educator as well. So you came from yeah. a house a house full of scholars to yeah. be an upstart. You was a rebel. You was a problem. <laughs> you, was a pro right. you was the problem child. <laughs> Right, the problem child that didn't want to be an artist. Right. So now I done made a complete 360 that, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So I drop out of high school, I mean, drop out of college, right? Mm -hmm. Drop out of college. My father, he says, okay, I'm going to buy you some equipment. So he buys me an air compressor. Because at in CVS, I learned how to, I taught myself how to airbrush. We had an airbrush in the department. Nobody knew how to use it. Mm-hmm. And I taught myself how to airbrush, and that became my, my weapon of choice early on. I come from a drawing background, though, pen, pencil, pen and ink, colored pencil, and then I in, uh, incorporated the airbrush in it and started doing colored pencil on top now, of it. Let airbrush. me let me right quick, let me throw something in right there, and because I wanna I wanna hit these points while we're while you're going through them. A lot of people who follow you and who are familiar with your work, a lot of your collectors and people who have followed you, other artists. A lot of them really are not aware of the depth of your abilities with every media. This is something, and this is why with the importance to me of this show is being able to tie together all of those loose ends that because uh, to show the completeness of your craft. Now, yeah, that's all. That's all. That's all. CBS. That's all, Mr. Johnson. And this is what's crazy. I didn't learn even close in college what I learned. At CVS. Wow. All Mr. that from my Johnson high school. Would, he would constantly put new mediums in my hand. Like, mm -hmm. because he knew that I was really more like a natural. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it was like somebody coaching, like a basketball player who got mad hops and, you know, can dunk and, and all that, but doesn't well, have Well, you know, they say game. Jordan didn't want to, wasn't really into basketball that tough starting out. So the coaching, Look at you know, that, that teacher, that, that educator that could see and knew exactly what to do with me. So he, he, he put ink in my hand, watercolor, 
pastel. I mean, I, I, I pretty much can do majority of them. Um, I don't sculpt. That's probably the only thing I haven't tried it either. But <laughs> that's probably the only thing that I don't do as far as mediums. But as far as painting and drawing, yeah, I'm classically trained just from studying commercial art at CVS. So that's okay. where my classical training comes from. It's everything is rooted in that. Okay. So even now when I do paintings, I'm doing full drawings and painting on top of them pretty much. Okay. So, which is kind of like an unnecessary step for most modern day painters. They kind of just sketch with the paint. But don't you um, think like I'm, I'm at, and I'm asking as a, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with your work. I've been around it for a long time. But do you not believe, though, that the what you call an unnecessary step is not part of what makes your work what it is? Yeah, definitely. Uh, because I want to memorize the movement. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be introduced to the movement when I put the paint down. The pencil, there's less lying in the pencil, mm -hmm. if, you, if I can address it that way. The pencil is like what you put down, that's what it is. Um, and in studying um, anatomy and uh, different things, um, you know, I just had a passion, okay. you know, for that coming out of CVS. Got you. Um, okay, so now you, you spoke about your father being a, a full-time math teacher, a full-time employee at the post office. So he worked two full-time jobs. And I'm going to guess because, you know, I talked at the beginning of the show, I, I spoke about your uh, catalog of work which is is phenomenal. I mean, it, it leaves you speechless. Thank you. So in that, what the only thing I can draw from that is the fact that your work ethic is off the chain. It's, it's bananas. You, you never lose, it appears to me, you never lose the thirst for what you do and the messages that you continue to send and the way you work to make those things come to pass. You're a taskmaster. And I'm guessing that you got that from the foundation of, home from your father yeah i mean i understood hard work i mean uh from my father definitely but it was re reinforced when you go outside of the home because you know chicago is known as a city that works so you're just gonna grind that's like that's like just a behavior in chicago mm -hmm. and so you go from that work ethic like you gotta work you gotta outwork the next man you know what i'm saying Absolutely. so it's like you're not gonna it's not gonna get given to you you're gonna have to really really Put yourself in the path of success and so uh my work ethic was established at home you know in my father uh who established my passion for uh our culture as well um my father was very um instrumental in introducing me to with him being a a, a love school teacher he like say in the 70s he'd come home he'd have his afro and his dashiki on <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I would see things in him that made me really, 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 really love my culture. And because he was a mathematician and, and uh, helped with developing curriculum for the public schools back then, he also understood what history was missing in the public schools. Mm -hmm. And so he gave me uh, history books on black history uh, okay. at a very young age. And that just opened my whole world up. I mean, completely. Okay. Uh, that's when I really, really, really fell in love with my people. Um, and my commitment became a lifelong commitment in art to my culture. So you, um, 
not i mean of course your father that and that's always a good thing when you have a, a parent as a as a mentor and as a uh, as an influence who are some of the other people who influenced your work uh throughout the years um that's kind of a difficult question for me because um that's what we're here for <laughs> yeah i wasn't really directly and I, I didn't have an influence like that. It wasn't like early on, like in comic books, it was Frank Franzetta who drew the Conan character. Mm -hmm. uh, I went through the Marvel <clears throat> stuff, but I liked something more real. And I got into the Conan. And that's what really, I really started studying anatomy once I started to work from those comic books. Okay. Um, after that, you know, being 10 years old in the mid-70s, I remember seeing... Um, like the Ohio Player album covers and Earth, Wind and & Fire, and the Earth, Wind & Fire ones specifically were artwork, they were paintings. And um, that that really influenced me. Um, my other influences were more classical, like Michelangelo. Mm -hmm. So the early part of my work, like in the mid 90s, the real popular uh, urban work, the woman standing on top of the world, the man holding it up, the four women under the hair dryers, all that work, that whole catalog basically was a design of classical Michelangelo mixed with the 70s. Okay. And so I wasn't doing anything but natural hair on those paintings. And I would wrap people in fabric because I wanted it timeless. I didn't want periodic hair and fashion. Gotcha. So, yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, so let's talk about that. You, um, The part where your career began to take off. Uh, was in the fashion industry, right? Right. You know, part of my initial, you know, it, I have to go all the way back and call it a hustle because that's what it was in the beginning. <laughs> Going door to door, I was a real, you know, you know me for a long time. I was a real shy guy. And, you know, talking to people really wasn't my thing. And you right. were one of the people that influenced me to be a lot bolder and vocal <laughs> and stern. In your you know, face. Um, <laughs> yeah, because you wasn't, you wasn't having it, you know, so... I learned from that as well. And I had several people that were uh, influenced on what I ended up designing myself as a business person. Mm -hmm. But uh, my father was very um, strong with the math, you know, that the numbers, you know, like I had, I understood the profit and, and reinvesting and, you know, I didn't get the saving game down <laughs> to a little later in life, you know, because I, I was not versed in that. I, I didn't understand how to grow your money and all that type of stuff. Right. You know, that came along with my wife, you know, uh, who is, is very savvy at that aspect of the game. That's what's So up. when I had, um, when I would go door to door, there were a couple clothing boutiques on 87th Street, but there were probably five or six hair salons. I started going into the hair salon. The first hair salon I went into was the barbershop was Troop and Soul with Haji. Yep. on 87th street and Haji <laughs> was just like man I, I love your artwork but you know i don't have no need for it he says you should go next door to iris over the iris so nails I was that was that for, the, for those out there that don't know iris was a was a nail was a famous nail salon on 87th street black owned all black owned and iris you know she had the drop top mercedes out there she'd get out with her fur coat and they would you know they would turn turn it probably a million dollars plus out of iris nails back then she had opened up a hair salon next door. It was a sister named Muriel. I can't remember the other sister's name. I approached them and said, hey, look, I, I want to do some artwork. They were like, well, we don't really, we ain't trying to buy no art. You know, it, 
people weren't trying to buy artwork in the hood. You know right, right, absolutely. It was like, okay, we hear you. You can draw and paint, but we're not really trying to do that. But I do need a price list. And so they asked me to do a price list. So when I did the price list for wash, blow, dry, so on and so forth, I did a free drawing on that price list of a woman with a nice hairstyle. Mm-hmm. When I brought that in, everybody was looking at the drawing because it was it was a lot better than my lettering, right? <laughs> and so, and so she's like, "Okay, maybe you can do a couple of drawings for us." And I was like, "Okay, cool." I did six pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I charged them. $300 for all six. And she says, okay, our busiest day is Friday. Mm-hmm. So come by every Friday, I'm going to give you an installment on it. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm broke. So I'm like, okay, cool. I left there, went to the next shop. Same thing. So my first five years were spent going up and down every major avenue on the south side. So I would work 87th Street from the east side all the way to the Dan Ryan. And and, and, let, and let's not let's not forget to add the part about you literally were on foot. Yeah, I, I was walking. <laughs> so I would walk from <laughs> Jeffrey to the Dan Ryan, get on the train, go to 79th, go from 79th and the Dan Ryan to 79th and Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I had a $250 a day in order quota that I had to meet. And I would pick up my money on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So every Friday was payday. I'd go around to everybody and, and, and get paid. Mm-hmm. But I became so resourceful at that that I understood that this is how I can make a living. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so I kept kept going, kept doing that, kept doing that. And then I, I said, okay, I got to go past... 71st street hmm. so then i went to hyde park mm-hmm. hyde park was a whole nother animal mm-hmm. you know <laughs> the uh the hustle at hyde park was a lot different mm-hmm. so there was some brothers there i used to do um it, it used to be a men's boutique called thomas thomas and thomas well it was something else before thomas that. and more thomas and more yeah I so remember I those. did their drawings for their ads in the Sun Times, mm-hmm. and after I did that, uh, and for the one. record, just so you know, I actually still have one of those ads in my collection. Oh wow! Yeah, I and that one. was on. They were based on 87th Street, right? So another joint called Motivi for Men opened in Hyde Park. I remember right? that. And so I ended up uh, doing some artwork for them first, and then I started to get some other salons in that area. So that was what I would do all day. At night, though, I would hit the clubs. We would hit the club, right? Yes, sir. So <laughs> oh, oh, and by the way, I, let me just put this out there. I'm, I, I hate to interrupt you, but I'm going to put this out there just for the audience and for those people who are you know, around the globe just watching it, just so y'all know. It's because of this guy right here. I blame you. No. <laughs> That I met my wife. He he actually came he actually came and got me one night to take care of some business, some art business uh, at a club, and I didn't want to go. And he said, "Come on, man, I need help. You got to go with me." And I was like, "I don't want to go." He's like, "Come on, man, put on some. Let's go." And we went out, and I met my wife that night. Now go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you met. You that's a whole other. That's a whole other story. But uh, and it's good to see y'all still together. We still life. here, man. Thirty years yeah. later. I know, right? So, 
we um so I would do the artwork for the club photographer, mm-hmm. right? And that led to me meeting some other entrepreneurs. I just put it that way. Huh. They were in the club. That's putting it mildly. And, <laughs> right, putting it mildly. And so I started doing portraits of brothers, like really with them in their cars. That took off. So I wonder. I, I, I actually be, wonder how many of those guys still have those paintings. Well, yes, they. Some of them have. I, I heard the feds got some of the other ones though. Well, but, uh, <laughs> but we went up. Hey. I know. Hey, it, it happened. But the uh, that was also another aspect of the dynamic that would have a big role in what I did later. Mm-hmm. And so I understood that from working with the hair salons during the day, that was real vanity based. It was fashion and hair, but it was vanity, mm-hmm. you know. And then at night I would be working with, you know, the clubs and and, and, and street guys. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And so that also was like, uh, uh, um, what they call it, um, it tur- almost turned into a rite of passage. You got mm-hmm. on, you start making money, you had to have a paint by me. Right. That's right. And That's so right. That was yeah, yeah. The, that was yeah. Everybody, if you was getting it, if you was getting it like that, you had to get a painting by whack. Absolutely. Right. And so, I met a, a real good brother. We still, you know, friends to this day. Uh, you know, Kenji. Yeah. And so Kenji ended up partnering with Calvin Holland with Heroes back in the day, right? And so when I had done Heroes. I can't really get the timeline all the way straight because so much was happening so fast. Right. But basically what happened was one day I, I was trying to get some work and it was a brother in Chicago named Rex that everybody knows. And Rex was Rex was um, the man. My predecessor, right? Rex had all the accounts in town. If it was dope, he had the account, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was a huge thing where I just couldn't get work. He had all the accounts. And I would spend days going to ad agencies in, in the loop downtown, you know, trying to get work, trying to get work, trying to get work. He had everything. So one day I had done a painting of Michael Jordan. I did it on this tall sheet of paper in the bedroom at my mother's house, at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. So I did this piece of Jordan. I don't know where you was at because I needed a ride that day. <laughs> <laughs> hey. And... <laughs> And I walked from 90-something in on the south side to 22nd Street. Mm-hmm. So I walked 70-something blocks with this paint. Right? I had it rolled up on a piece of paper. So I walked mm-hmm. 70, about 72 blocks. All right? I get down there, and Calvin is walking past me back and forth, back and forth, walking real fast, you know. Dress uh-huh. well, you know, just smelling like oh, money. Oh, yeah. Right? Calvin always kept it together. Real right. sharp brother. And so finally, my shot behind speaks up, says, hey, are you the owner? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, I'm an artist. He said, oh, man, Rex already got this account. That was the first thing he said. Mm-hmm. Rex already got this account. Got it on lock. So I'm like, damn, I done walked 70-something blocks, man. You're going to have to at least look at this paint, right? Right. So... I, I said, hey, if you don't mind, if you just look at it, because at this point, I'm trying to even realize if I'm good enough. Look at this painting and tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. I unrolled the painting. And Calvin says something to me that is the realest thing ever. He says, sometimes timing is everything. Hmm. Absolutely. 
He says, I don't have nothing on my wall. Our grand opening is tonight. Michael Jordan will be here tonight. The Bulls will be here tonight. Hmm. Right? He asked me then if I was hungry. I said, yes, indeed, I'm hungry. <laughs> he said, tell him you know, what you want. Stick around. We'll put the painting on the wall. Right? So I sit down. I eat and everything. And hours pass by, right? Because this is early in the afternoon. So it gets to about 7, 8 in the evening. Mm -hmm. People start coming in. All these companies that were telling me no, these art directors were at the club uh -huh. for the grand opening. Ain't that something? Right? My artwork's on the wall. The Bulls come down there, right? So all these other players, except for Jordan, are sweating the paint. Mm -hmm. And they asked me, well, how much is the piece? And so now I, I wasn't polished as I am now. So <laughs> back then I'm telling the brothers, I'm like, it's 15. And I'm trying to tell them that the paper I drew it on was $15. So Boy. they say, oh, 1500 <laughs> Man, I want one. And they start reaching in their pocket. They breaking me off 500 750 mm -hmm. $500, $750, right? Now, mind you, I walk down there because I ain't have a dime, all right? I leave there with $3,500 in deposit. Mm -hmm. I get a call the next day, and this brother just passed away recently, Ernest Collins. Mm -hmm. And Ernest Collins, if you don't know who Ernest Collins is, he's a he was a top fashion photographer in Chicago and everywhere else. I think he worked overseas in Paris and everything else. But Ernest Collins was huge, right? So Ernest Collins called me and said, hey, look, can you bring that painting down to the University of Chicago gymnasium tomorrow? Mm -hmm. I said, well, I got to call down to the club and see if I can get it. He said, bring the painting down there. I'll see you tomorrow, right? I go down there, get the paint, go over to, take it over to the University of Chicago gym. I walk in the gym. Ernest is right there. He said, just go in the uh, dressing room back there, and I'll come get you when, when we're ready. He's like, I'm going to take some still photos of Jordan next to your paint. So I'm like, oh, for real? Okay, Jordan, come down here. So I go in the back. And they got the clothes laid out, right? Mm -hmm. And they had this uh, belt buckle that said Mars on it, like one of them uh, hip-hop belt buckles. Right, 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 right. And it says Mars on there. And so Spike Lee walks in. There it is. I'm like, damn, Spike Lee? And <laughs> so he come in, he cracking jokes, you know, and doing his thing. And I'm just sitting back like a fly on the wall. I'm in shock, right? Because I knew who Spike Lee was. He had just did She Gotta Have It. And I'm right. like, that's yeah, what he that, was doing was, it. Yeah. Yeah, that's groundbreaking, right? So Jordan comes in. Jordan and Spike Lee joking around. And then they start filming the first Air Jordan commercial. So I'm on set for the first Air Jordan commercial. Ernest Collins was doing still photography for those commercials. Took pictures with the Jordan piece. And at that point, I realized that, okay, this this can happen, mm -hmm. right? I thought something would manifest from that, but it didn't. I really didn't know how to work that caliber of people. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, kind of um, like having something in front of you you're not ready for. Right. 
So that didn't happen. But the thing was, I was hustling so hard that I was meeting all kind of people. So I met this brother at one of my customers, which was the Cotton Club. So it was a brother, uh, Thomas, that used to do the club photography down there, and I did his backdrops. Mm -hmm. And so on Monday night, they had open mic. Bernie Mac was down there doing open mic. Mm -hmm. He gets on there, do his thing. He get off the stage. I'm like, man, you about to blow up. He said, when I do, I'm about all your pain. Mm -hmm. I leave Chicago in 97. I get a call from a mutual friend of ours and like Bernie wants to see you. I said, well, I'm in Atlanta now. Can we talk? Now Bernie wants to see you, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm like, okay, I know what this is. You know, you need to make sure I ain't, you know, on drugs or, you know, bummed out or something, you know, right. you trying to put me on. So I, I fly up to Chicago. We meet. He started ordering pieces, right? He had an mm -hmm. office down in the South Loop. He's ordering pieces. And working with Bernie, I ended up doing about 27 paintings for Bernie. And mm -hmm. I was the only artist that he commissioned throughout his life, all the way up to probably three months before he transitioned. But Bernie and I would have these conversations. I would see him once a year around the holidays. That's when he would take his break. And um, we would talk for three, four, five hours. And, you know, him and Rhonda would be like a comedy act. You know, he'd just be on the floor just crying. And um, it was just, uh, he was such a student of his craft. And so we had that in common. Mutual respect. And, Right, so the, the passion. So as I was growing, Bernie made me feel comfortable that the price point could grow. Mm -hmm. you, you feel me? Yep. So <laughs> I was doing eight-foot original paintings for Bernie for $1,500 when we first started working together. Mm -hmm. Later on, he commissioned me to do the piece for Oprah, which is in her school in South Africa. Right. You see what I'm saying? That's right. So he was he had enough vision and belief that something can come from our environment and sky's the limit. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so the more confidence he put with our opportunities, the, the more I killed it and just kept killing it and kept taking it to the next level, next, next, next. And you definitely have you know? done that, brother. <laughs> yeah. So that's where that whole uh, conduct comes from, if you could say. It's a cumulative uh, learned behavior over years. Okay. Well, so uh, moving forward, your work has transcended so many people's lives. I mean, like, I think that you've probably, you're probably one of the most complete artists in the black art world that I've ever seen. And I'm not just saying that because I know you and I've been knowing you for a very long time. I'm saying that because, you know, I've always believed in you, number one. I was yeah. there when other cats had a lot to say. You know, we we, right. we we almost came to blows on more than one occasion. Sometimes right. we did come to blows, but you know, uh, you know, because cats get disrespected yeah. anyway. But uh, you know, your work has reached people, I think, in places that weren't even interested in art. I believe that your work has made people who weren't art interested in art become collective. And I would probably venture to say that Bernie Mac was actually one of those. I have a few of your pieces that I've been showing as you were speaking. Mm -hmm. And in particular, I want you to discuss taking her back. This was a pivotal painting in your career. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Taking her back. Taking her back was a piece that just, that blew, that blew me all the way up. Right. 
And so taking her back was a message to black women to take them back and uplift and respect them. And when I created it, I was just really being more defiant because at that time I was heavily working as a fashion illustrator. I was working with Barbara Bates uh, pretty heavily, you know, during the mm -hmm. time of a, a lot of her ascension to, you know, other levels. I was doing her fashion illustration, you know, stage sets and different things for her. And I was working with another company called Grossanova Furs out of Canada. I was mm -hmm. doing their illustrations of fur coats and stuff like that. So I just wanted, between the hair and the fashion, I just wanted to paint some nudes. So I was like, okay, I just want to paint some <laughs> blood naked black folks, right? I don't want to do no clothes. I just want to paint bodies because I always like to just paint bodies. Right. So I paint this piece, and um, I'm renting this small space from a couple sisters that were entrepreneurs in Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. And they, they allowed me to rent this small little corner of this loft that they had. Mm -hmm. uh, which I could afford this little corner, right? Well, uh, and, and I, I, I just want to put it out there, considering the fact that you did all of this other large work like that Jordan piece in a bedroom, mm -hmm. which was very small, I'm, I'm guessing that that corner was a come up. <laughs> yeah, the corner was was huge compared to, you know, you're in a bedroom and you're doing club backdrops like half at a time, you know what I'm saying? Because you got a folded <laughs> joint. You know, it's it's a uh, it was it was a it was a convenience. You know, you got a freight elevator. You know, it was dope, and it was uh, maybe three blocks from Oprah Studios. Mm -hmm. So it was in the West Loop on Randolph, and I called it the Creative Basement. They they later uh, moved on to another location, and I ended up with the whole place. And so I was trying to afford this place, which I couldn't afford at the time. I'm you know, I'm I'm working hard trying to keep this place. Mm -hmm. And so I started having these parties, right? And the parties would be at the creative base. And I would do it the, when the hair show would come to town. Mm -hmm. The Proud Lady Hair Show would come to town. And so I would have these parties. And I worked with a lot of models. So a lot of guys came because I worked with a lot of beautiful women. So my parties was just was crazy, right? Real nice turnout. You know, uh, newspapers would be there. And, you know, it would be in the paper that next day. It was, mm -hmm. it was real cool. But I'm, I'm having a rent party. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> old school, old know. school, old fashioned right. rent party. I'm having an old school rent party. So I didn't charge <laughs> to get in. So I had, you know, what I call back then a black business donation, ironically. And hmm. I would have a real pretty girl at the door and she'd have a big bucket and, and people would just drop money in it. And so guys that were ballers, NBA dudes, they with a hundred dollars in there, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it worked out better than charging everybody five dollars. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the um, working with the hair industry, you know, it just opened up so many other doors that when Taking Her Back came, I had the party and I had a unveiling of Taking Her Back and Mother Earth at that party. Mm-hmm. And so people that were at that party, they may or may not remember, but this stuff would come on, turn around and become iconic globally. But it was previewed at that party. And so I tried to sell the original painting to a guy who had a night, who had an art gallery next door to All Jokes Aside. And so all the top black comedians would be performing at All Jokes Aside. And when they, when they would stand in line, their line went in front of the art gallery's window. 
So I went to the gallery and I'm like, dude, you want to buy this painting for five hundred dollars? This is the original, right? Mm -hmm. And he's wow. like, he's like, I got a, I got a gallery full of paintings. I'm wow. He's like, it's a nice wow. painting. Though. He was like, he was like, that's oh. a nice painting, right? We ended up um, putting the painting in the window, and I'm like, that ain't putting no money in my pocket. He was like, let me just mm -hmm. put it in the window so people think about it. So I'm standing outside and watching or listening to people's reaction to the painting. Mm -hmm. And they going crazy over this painting. And they're like, okay, I know what he taking her, taking her back. I know what he taking her to, right? <laughs> and so I'm hearing this narrative. And I said, damn, that's it. I said, I'm going to make this a love story. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have her take her, put her down on a pedestal, propose to her, make love to her, and have a family. And uh, Christian Payton, uh, who's an actor from Chicago, uh, and uh, Lisa Ray were my initial models mm -hmm. for those pieces. See, this is the funny thing about your work. People have seen it. If you're black in America, if you're on the Internet, if you're on Facebook, you've seen it. Trust me, you've seen it. And the crazy part is that when, if you if you ever want to follow. Been there. It's been there through... Um, it's been there through MySpace. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and if you want to know the pieces that he's speaking about specifically, just go. He, his website, we have it listed in the, uh, in the, in the feed on the um, Facebook page. Uh, I'll list it elsewhere. But go to his website and look at his body of work. And this is called the Love Series. There are a series of, what is it, four or five paintings, isn't it? Oh, five. Five five paintings that are part of the love series. And you will see the transition that takes place in that series. And it is the beginning series of his official art career. <laughs> and they are fantastic. These are the, these are some of the pieces that created what we see today and how mm -hmm. far this, this thing has come. Yeah. And so nobody wanted to publish it because it was very risque at that time in, in 1995. And uh, we couldn't get it published. And so the guy that owned the gallery in itself uh, co-published it and became business partner. It became a very successful publishing company over the years. It's just crazy how things work. But that's, that's kind of, that was the next level of the game. Okay. And I learned a lot from uh, Michael as well, uh, Michael Bailey, who owns Zebra Gallery. Um, he had a master's in business and statistics. And I had the talent. It was a good fit, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it was what catapulted it. And he, and he was from Chicago, so he had some hustle. So, you know, we, we do the prints. You know, he getting his car, he, he getting his little Toyota Corolla, and he drive all the way to New York, right? Huh. And he said, okay, you take your half of the print. That was the deal. You take your half, I'm going to take my half. We good, right? And I'm like, yeah, we good, right? I didn't understand distribution. Huh. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I just got all these prints sitting on the shelf, right? <laughs> right. And my life ain't stable enough to be sure I can, you know, I had to move everything in my car if I had to move, you know. Right. So I'm like, I can't move all these prints and my food time, you know what I'm saying, if it goes <laughs> bad. So, we, you know, we talking, and I seen him probably two or three times after we made the deal, and he would give me money, right? And I'm like, this ain't part of the deal. He was like, man, he's like, Wack, you don't know what you're doing. He said, you need to let me handle that. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, cool. 
She's like, come on out to New York with me, ride with me. And we ham out our deal in the car mm-hmm. from Chicago to New York. Mm-hmm. We get to the Circle of Sisters in New York. And I had two pains. I had taken a back in Mother Earth at that time. Mm-hmm. And they were $10 a print. And we go all the way to New York. We had the Circle of Sisters. I'm nervous because I've painted <laughs> it so this, I'm emotionally attached to it. I, I don't want to hear nothing negative about it. Nothing, you know, right. you're gonna be in that fight, and you know, you start talking crazy. So I'm walking away, I'm walking away, walking away. And he was like, Man, just go, go, go get you some water or something, man. You're making me nervous. So I go get some water, I go to the restroom, I come out the restroom, there's people are walking around with the posters in their hand. So hmm. I'm like, Oh, that's clever, he got them promoting. I didn't know they had stuff started buying, hmm. right? So they like, Mother Earth, taking her back, son. They over in the back in the corner, son. You know, this joint is hot. You know? <laughs> so, so I go over there, man, and it's just it's just a line. I mean, like out of nowhere, there's just this line, right? And so at that point, that's when you you know you turn that corner and say, "This is how it works." Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I just kept—I mean, for lack of better words, I just kept hitting that spot. I knew I knew what the spot was. I knew the math of the pieces. I knew the the science behind what I created. Mm-hmm. I knew I had created something specifically to target a specific thing. So I became very uh, knowledgeable of how to create a, a image that mm-hmm. could be described to someone, and they would it would trigger a visual. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't have to see it. Like I could say, have you seen a painting of the four women under the hairdryer? Right. And even though it's an extremely famous painting, all I got to do is say that and you see the painting. Right. Absolutely. So I started to design pieces like Power Woman, the woman standing on the world like a, I, I, like a silhouette. Like if you saw it a mile away, you would know what it was. Mm-hmm. And what I was doing was trying to design stuff that if you were in a convention atmosphere, which there's thousands of people you can see this thing 50 feet away and know that that's it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because somebody told you what it was. Somebody said, man, it's a woman standing on top of the world. And you see this little figure and you see this round thing at the bottom. That must be it. You walk closer. And so it became a philosophy um, as well as a design uh, tool. And I just kind of kept the work there for that first eight to 10 years. The work was just kind of kept right in that spot. I didn't want it to evolve. I just needed to diversify it at that cadence. And it was a cadence. People could literally hear me talking through my art in that cadence. Right. So I didn't I didn't need to complicate it. It was like a hard baseline. And at that same time, you have black entrepreneurs revolutionizing the market with hip hop, you know, and urban apparel and it, right. it was right in stride with all of that. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. So while, since we, now that we've gotten this far along, I'm going to show you just how deep the game goes. Let's talk about your sorority and fraternity series. A lot of people who are sorority and fraternity do not know, believe it or not, that you actually created series just for them. Yeah, that was 1998. Um, it was a year after I relocated to Atlanta and I had an experience that was kind of unpleasant with my other work, right? 
and uh, it was some sisters in a gallery. Well, I think it may have been several people in a gallery, not just women. It was a couple of guys, too. And they were conversing about my new work. And they were like, I wouldn't put this in my home with you. And, and that's what that's how they were talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I got so offended <laughs> that I said, you know what? I could design something that you could put in your house. I ain't tell her this. I just went. I just left. Mm-hmm. And so I got in my sketchbooks and I designed uh, it's called the cream of the crop. And I designed this whole series of these uh you know, black sorority and fraternity standing on these pedestals. I was getting ready to break off and go into my own business. And so I was doing the work to to finance it. It was like, that was how I was going to build my bank. Mm-hmm. I needed something that was commercial and safe enough because I was doing so well with the news that I knew if I actually put clothes on somebody, I would sell even more. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, that kind of was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. But... People in that industry didn't know my background was fashion. So I'm, I'm designing these dresses out of wrap fabric. I'm designing everything. Like I'm designing the pedestals, I'm designing everything. Mm-hmm. So there's no reference that it was coming from. The fraternity sorority images were burnt out at that time. 1997, they, were just, they had drugged that imagery so hard that nobody wanted it. Mm-hmm. And when this stuff came out, it just, it just took off. And that was 1998. I think, uh, what was that, two years ago, I was commissioned by the AKAs to do the centerpiece in their national headquarters, right. which brought everything full circle for me. And that was a beautiful thing. you know. Um, yeah, see, you know, it's funny because the more, like all of the different pieces that you bring up while we're having this conversation, I try to be preemptive and prepare for a lot of what this is. But, you know, it's like I said at the top of this show, it is virtually impossible to give the world during this show in this time frame a it's just not possible to give people visuals for everything that we're discussing and and again these are things that they've already seen believe it or not a lot of them don't realize it yet and a lot of them do but the point is that every time you bring up a new piece i'm like dang i wish i had that one on my roster to bring up but it's just so much of it and your work runs so deep. I don't know that you've ever put a piece out. You know, most artists are lucky to have one piece to hit in the world. And I can attest to that because you were the publisher of my very first piece of art that uh, sells in the market. Uh, still to this day, because you had the eye for it and you knew you thought you knew it would be a good thing and you put it out there and um, it, it's done phenomenally since then. But the fact is there are artists who paint their whole lives. There are artists who I can remember times where we would be sitting in Philadelphia at the October galleries, big shows mm-hmm. uh, with the likes of Annie Lee and Paul Goodnight and other very famous black artists all in concert together. And I would watch other artists who were not as prolific, literally not make a quarter. Like people, like it was one thing you used to say all the time about hustling for wall space. You know, if you didn't have something that was going to make a person want to put it on their wall and look at it every day, then, you know, you got to think long and hard about that. Yeah. I mean, it's a competitive market even to this day. I mean, one of the things that keeps me um, going is, you know, you just, you know, you're still alive. You know, you don't want to be that. You know, I had someone tell me, oh, you that guy from the 90s, right? 
And I was so offended. It was it was such a nice <laughs> thing for them to say to be able to mark a whole decade by me. But at the same time, it's like, no, nah, I'm still alive. I'm still creating. You know, I got some dope on my easel right now. You know, so on one hand, it, it's it's um, you just you want to stay relevant. But, you know, you have a core passion to not only succeed, but to compete. Mm-hmm. And because I came from such a competitive environment, I, I don't think that I ever really go away. It's just the competition is myself. Mm-hmm. It's not really in my past success. It's not any individual. I'm not looking at somebody and saying, oh, I want to go up against him or her. It's more so like you're going up against yourself. Yeah. I mean, the, the legend of yourself. I mean, you can create something that becomes legendary. So how do you go in your studio and not be intimidated by something you haven't created yet? And speaking of legendary, uh, right now I have on screen uh, for everyone to see a preliminary painting, which describes what you talked about earlier, how you draw the painting first before you actually paint it. And the painting that I'm showing right now is swept away. Now, for all my dance family that's on the show tonight, just so you know, and I know you've all seen this, all my steppers, all my Chicago steppers throughout the whole nation, this particular piece is called Swept Away. Now, this is um, a piece that you're all familiar with. You're looking at what is a preliminary part of the painting. Now I'm going to show you the final painting, and I'm sure you've all seen it before. All my steppers, y'all know what this is. That's called Swept Away. Uh, tell us a little bit about that painting, Kevin. Well, Swept Away kind of came when I was transitioning into um, my higher-end line. I, I create a, um, an original uh, body of work that has investment, limited editions uh, available. And uh, I basically reinvented myself at some point. Um, the, the artist, um, Ernie Barnes, they did the work on Good Times. Right. I had uh, the pleasure of meeting him um in Philadelphia one year and I showed him my work and he told me at that time, he said, somebody like you comes along every, every 20 years. Right. And I was coming up on my 20th year from my initial success on a mass level. And I said, well, um, I want to be that new artist. Right. (laughs) So I decided to rebrand myself and, and just do a new line of work. And I had some relationships um, in the market with fine art dealers, even though I was known for selling mass consumed work, I had relationships with all levels of art uh, industry people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a gallery and I joined forces and they started representing my original work, which went under the K.A. Williams uh, signature. Okay. And so some of that first body of work was uh, swept away in another piece called Sax Appeal. And so uh, Swept Away definitely was influenced from, you know, going to Steppers Clubs with you and, you know, <laughs> and, and the, you know, the 50 yard line. Back in the day, <laughs> baby, back in the day. And, you know, and, 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 and all of that, the, the owner of the originals, uh, they belong, they're, they're part of Ernie Barnes. I mean, I'm sorry, Bernie Mac's uh, estate. So okay. he actually gifted his wife those originals for one of the anniversaries. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Okay. Now listen, I'm showing another piece here and this is, I think another pivotal piece in your career. Step out on faith. Um, (laughs) (laughs) where were you when you decided to create this 
masterpiece. I mean, and, and, and fortunately, fortunately for the public, this is still an open edition print and it is mm -hmm. available to you now. Then, you know, because let's understand now you have to understand that his work varies. You can get something mm -hmm. out of his collection for as little as $20 all the way up to a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. It's just a matter of what you are, um, what your pocket can stand, but he's got something for everybody. But, Tell us about Step Out on Faith. This is this was a, a an incredibly just prolific piece, man. It's just it just speaks for itself. Like you said, the imagery it tells the story every time. Well, you know, Step Out on Faith basically uh, came where I had to um, start to build a new direction uh, and a new business, and it's the only piece that my mother has openly um, <laughs> acknowledged <laughs> and, and loved. Um, you know, funny. she's like, now, now you now you done did something, right? And so um, Step Out of Faith actually came to me as a as a as a vision. And sometimes when I have visions, they're like live action movies. Mm -hmm. And so I could feel this sister walking and she was cold, right? And then she was blindfolded. And she was shivering and it was lightning in the clouds and the mm -hmm. lightning struck and she jumped and she kept walking forward. And when she took a step, she fell and she was about to hit the water and didn't hit the water. And then you see the hand of God. Mm -hmm. And so this is the image that came to me and I woke up immediately and sketched it out. Right. And I decided to paint it. Now, up to that point, I had pretty much been known as as nasty man, Mr. You know, naked man, stuff, right? <laughs> Couple pieces, of, you know, patent leather pants, and you know, everything was, you know, I was just, you know, hey, doing, doing, doing me. That's right. And but there was another side of me that has a strong faith and belief in God and Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had never stepped out there and really showed that side of my myself. At first, I didn't think people would accept it based on all the other stuff I had painted. Yeah, kind of hard to make that, that. You didn't think they would accept the transition? Nah. And so I remember I debuted it in Philadelphia at, at October Galleries. Mm -hmm. And I took this original, this big original, and they loved it. Yes, they like, did. I remember well. I was like, I was like wow. <clears throat> okay, I can just really be me. So if I grow... I can show you my growth. As I mm -hmm. mature, I can show you my maturing. You know, um, I can just be open book, which you know, which is hard to do uh, creatively. I think that's one of the separations in in artists. You have to embody what you're doing. Uh, like if an image comes to me and it's in a female form, I can't allow my masculinity to taint it. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So a, a lot of times I'll get shown pieces for women and my wife will tell you, I, I don't understand <laughs> women at all. You know what I'm saying? I'm like those, Welcome those, to the club. Like you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but when those pieces come and they come from that source, you know, I just stay obedient in transferring what the vision was that was sent to me. And that's the pure cosmic divine artist side of it you know um i have that side to me that i don't think a lot of people really realize they think it may be some kind of um like i said gimmick or 
sequence uh, okay. uh so something like that but it's 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 a very um it's a very spiritual place that where my work takes place at yeah that's that's a beautiful thing and, and that's something most artists i think they need to dig deeper within themselves to come out to 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 show them show who they are and that's what you do in all your pieces and speaking of which um what about the piece you did that is hosted by the PGA? That's the Pro Golfers Association. For those that don't know, yeah, the um, <laughs> the PGA the PGA Commission um, it came uh, from a piece that I had created uh, as a tribute to a place called uh, Shady Rest, and Shady Rest was a historic uh, first black-owned golf country club mm-hmm. uh, in New Jersey, and. Um, like uh, from the 1920s to I think 65 or somewhere around there, it was uh, in operation. Now this and is all- where you start to tie history to your work more so than the things you had been doing in the past, correct? Right, right. And that was my whole thing was just to enlighten. It was like let me just enlighten. And as I was being enlightened, I'm enlightening others. You know what I'm saying? So I'm doing research and I'm studying and I'm finding these things. And so. I went back to my fashion days. I wanted to do some brothers that would dress real nice, you know, standing on the golf course. Mm -hmm. The piece goes to a show that Black Enterprise magazine put on, and I was being represented uh, by ENS Gallery at that show. Mm -hmm. And uh, the director of the PGA saw the piece, and that's how I got commissioned for the piece that went to the museum. Okay. Now, I I, I want to say um, also, then I'm about to start name dropping right quick. Okay. <laughs> one of one of uh, and I'm and I'm saying this. This is for the benefit of my audience. I want them to understand that the the a host of collectors who literally celebrity collectors who have this man's work in their homes and on their walls. Oprah, she has that. What in the school in Africa? Uh, Bernie Mac who purchased almost every piece of art that he had from Mr. Williams, Roland Martin, Viola Davis. And in fact, um, I've seen myself, I've seen a lot of your stuff in different television shows and actually on in movies. And it's funny when you sitting there watching something and you go, hey, I know that piece. Well, Viola, I'm just interject. Viola doesn't have anything. At oh. this point, she uh, she just shows some some real strong love. Uh, she connected with a piece that I created called Queen, and okay. uh, Queen deals with a woman breaking free from slavery or bondage and uh, reclaiming her crown. And that was another piece that came to me pretty much similar to how Step Out on Faith did. But she reposted the piece or posted the piece on all her uh, social media outlets mm-hmm. and. Uh, we were very, very grateful and 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 um, and amazed at how that response went. So, yeah. Well, but we're gonna get some original work in her collection. There you go. Now, now sure. what I wanna now what I wanna do is I I have I'm about to put a photo up, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to pay very close attention to this photo. This particular painting is called "Give It All to God." Now. This is a depiction of a of a, a husband and wife that are taking whatever they have, their trials, their tribulations, their struggles, their bills, their home, their everything, their life, and and making sure that they put God in in the game. 
Now, help me with that, Kevin. And the reason I'm and, and I'm going to well, I have something else that I want to add to that. But go ahead. Well, I mean, you, you pretty much nailed my uh, symbolism of, of creating it. And what the piece deals with is, you know, the submission, you know, to God to um, for that to be your uh, your direction, you know, uh, mm-hmm. not to put those things in front of God or to um, the reason that, that one hand of each individual is on the bowl is to uh, emphasize that if they become disconnected fighting over these material things, mm-hmm. then everything is going to fall. Absolutely. Now, I, I brought this particular painting up for a reason. One day, as I was scrolling through the Internet, I ran across a very interesting thing that involves this particular painting. Mm-hmm. And it show I want to I just want to illustrate to the audience how impactful, just how impactful your work is and has become to quite a few people. This lady has a tattoo on her back with that oh, very yeah. painting <laughs> on it. Now, I'm I'm this kind of thing has to kind of give you a sense of like wow just how much you touch people with your work. And I know that this is a bit extreme, but maybe not. I mean, it's, there, there's quite a few people that actually um, permanently, you know, put the work on their, on their bodies. And that's been happening for, for quite a while. It's a, um, how can I put it? It's, it's, it, you know, it's flattering of course, but it's, it's odd when you, when you're the person that created it. Yeah. Uh, because I can remember when it was developing, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. <laughs> so to see the the finish, you you feel like you must have really hit the spot. You right. know what I'm saying because it's resonating that deep. So you know you may go through a series of uh, recalculations when you're creating something. Like should I do this here? Should I do that here? Should I do this here? Should I do that? Should I put the Chrysler 300 in there? But at the time, the Chrysler 300 that was what was hot, uh, right? That and, was, and, that and was and what was hot. Everybody was rich that had one. You know, it was like, okay, we got this, we got that, we got this. And it was like this itemized list of success. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it was a, a pitfall of spending. Mm-hmm. You know, and so to see people connect with it, uh, it's really deep. I just had a young lady that's a photographer. She does mostly maternity uh photography women Mm. expecting and she remade my made for each other piece uh with a couple that's expecting oh wow and she did a phenomenal job and she had sent me like a message like what does it feel like to create something 15 years ago and then another creative is inspired by it because they feel like it's timeless Right. And the perspective that it was put in, it made me really understand at times, you know, because you have some people that do it. And it, I've seen a version of that same that made for each other painting with a white couple. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's a drawing and there's no no connection to where you got it from. You just took it and manipulated it to who you want it to go to. You know, so that can right. be a little bit offensive when something like that happens. But when people just embrace it, it's just, um, I think that's just part of that immortal package of the work. When it gets to that level, um, it, that you know that it'll be here past you being here, yeah. um, that gets a little deep. 
so it can get a little little eerie, you know. I can imagine. Because, <laughs> you, you know, you you right here in the now, you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, I'm creating something right now. You know, you got mistakes you done, you're not going to finish. All that stuff is actually worth something because you done touched it. That's beautiful. You know, so it can get kind of deep. So you don't want to, for me, I can't think too much in that space. I just take it and I'm thankful and I'm grateful uh, to people that, that show that kind of love. Absolutely. And have connected to the work to that degree. So, but now, I kind of have to keep it moving so I don't get in awe of myself. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, um, you know, so. I, I remember, I can remember a time uh, in your career where I, I remember us having this discussion and I said something to you about historical type things. And I remember you telling me, I guess this is kind of like how when you started, you didn't want to be an artist. But I remember you telling me, Man, I don't want to be painting slaves and doing this type of thing. And <laughs> I'm not I'm not doing you were in the fashion yeah, thing real heavy. Slaves, now, right? now your pieces are phenomenally like just the historical stuff that you're doing now and your commission work that you're putting out are so like just the timing is perfect. I guess everything happens when it's supposed to. So your work dealing with history and the, the transitions that we made in civil rights. And, you know, I always in this show, I always tie history to current events. And in your work, you're now tying history to current events. And I have a piece that I'm showing right now that uh, with your uh, I am a man and the uh, John Lewis piece with vote. And it is critically important that people understand that these paintings are also timeless in a way like. I mean, it, most of your work is time. Brother, you've left a legacy that, that'll be here long after we're gone. That The shame of it is like, you know, we should all get our accolades while we're here. But, you know, things like this, you and I personally, and I know many others that we, I believe in, you know, I'm going to just let you know now, your work is and has been very touching and moving for me in my life. So appreciate this, that, this historical piece, I am a man and vote are are like just I, I just don't I don't have too many more words for it. I, I just don't know what to say. But you can tell well, us see, about your historical ride. Well those pieces are um once again connected to that act that my father did when I was really young. You know, he got me those ebony pictorial encyclopedias. And they used to have door to door salespeople out selling them, huh, you know, yeah. in the community. And my father had got those and gave those to me as a gift for me to study our history. Mm -hmm. And those that imagery really stuck with me because I was so young seeing it. You know, I mean, they have, you know, the I Am A Man March, they have the assassination of King, Malcolm. Uh, you got brothers being burnt at the stake. I mean, it's some things, uh, Emmett Till, you got some things that you can't get out your head once you see them. Right. And so seeing those type of things at such a young age, it, it also put a level of responsibility on me hmm. to make sure that that doesn't get lost in now. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And to also, to some degree, slowly educate humanity of, about our people. We, we weren't born slaves. You know, you, a lot of the pieces that are viewed as slavery are actually pre-slavery. There you go. Uh, that I create. Yes, so, yes. Those um, are beautiful pieces too, by the way. And so now I'm more conscious of what I'm showing, how I show it, and try to be a little bit more authentic with the layering of it. Uh, as it evolves, 
the nuances become more subtle and, and more complicated. Uh, the cadence is not really for everybody to hear. Mm -hmm. um, the, the audiences will be able to view their own narrative uh, or create their own narrative like they do with the other work. So as a man that's just growing through life as a, as a man of color, as a black man, you know, my main thing is representation. Like, okay, I want 50 years from now, no matter what culture you are standing in front of a painting of mine that you understood this artist actually loved his people. Hmm. Like, that's the universal thing I need you to take away before you even get into what I'm saying in the paint and all that stuff. You need to walk up and feel that love. Um, and I've been committed to that, like, fully. Even when it wasn't in vogue and fashionable to do, that's what I was doing. That's all I've ever done. Mm -hmm. When I painted for hair companies, I painted black women. I painted black hair. You know, when I painted for yeah. PGA, I painted black golf. Yeah, that now that that that's a very that's a very important important point because I'm not you know I can remember times when you specifically were like, I'm only painting my people, and I I, <laughs> I think we actually had a I don't want to call it an argument, but we kind of had a went back and forth about something one day I can't remember what it was, but and I now you know there's there's a certain wisdom in some of the things that you've done in your career. And I commend you absolutely for those things. So yes. Thank you. Deal with your folks. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh that's just uh that's just that's the you know, as Bernie would say, it's a beautiful thing. You know, yes, that's sir. just one of those things that's uh that's a that's a powerful uh it's just it's it's authentic. So here's the thing. I can count I don't even need my whole hand, but I can count the amount of people that I know in this life who literally lived and died by their dreams, who stuck to their dreams. You are number one in that spot. What would you tell another up and coming artist, entrepreneur or person specifically in the art game? What would you say to them that would put them on their path to success? You know, from a general answer, I would just say to, to really be in love with what you're doing, you know, to really be transparent with your passion and be committed. Uh, you have to have the highest level of commitment, the highest level, you know, from the embarrassment to the rejection, to the success, to the fall, to the trying to regain, you know, it's, it's a constant roller coaster, but your level of commitment is the, the highest test, but also love what you do. Like if you get in on a gimmick, you know, you got to keep that gimmick up forever, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but if you're really pure about what you're want to transfer and show the world, it, it'll be a lot easier. I don't have a hard time creating cause I'm just showing you me. So uh, what do you have coming up in the future? Uh, now uh, I, I hear, I hear, Little bird told me uh, <laughs> there's potential for uh, an upcoming book. Yeah, that's a book I should have been working on doing <laughs> with this COVID <laughs> shutdown, uh, this pandemic. But we've been so busy. It's been a blessing. But my studios have been busier than ever. It's, it's been insane. Uh, and thank you to all the collectors and supporters out there. Yeah, I'm going to be working on a book. Uh, I want to work on a, a major book, but I also I'm... Um, 
have plans to work on a history-based book. Yeah, not to, I can't go too far into that, but yeah, some things that'll be coming on that on that level. But okay. as far as what's coming up, I'm just staying creative. I'm working on a new body of work currently. Yeah, it's you have a new piece coming out soon, right? Yeah, I got a piece coming out soon. Okay. It's, it's untitled as of now. Is it going um, to be limited edition, open edition, commission? What we got? It, it'll be in a limited capacity uh, for sure. Um, I'm not sure what price points it'll start at uh, and what edition size it will be. But, um, yeah, it's coming soon. Okay. Real soon. Well, Mr. Williams, we have a few questions okay. on, on the line. Uh, what, what do we have here? Audrey Blair wants to know, is the original for Queen still available? It is. Um, it's in Louisville, Kentucky at ENS Gallery. Okay. We, uh, I'm, see, I need to get the ENS Gallery information and post it. Uh, ENS Gallery out of Louisville, Kentucky, Audrey, would be the place you would want to check with. That is the um, gallery who is currently... Uh, holding it. Dennis. Another question. Dennis McCullum. He would like to know, will there be any of your pieces in the Obama Library in Chicago? Not that I know of at this point, but uh, one of the contractors that's uh, building it uh, did collect a piece that he had mentioned uh, possibly uh, installed, having it installed there or donating it Okay. Uh, to the library, one of the voting pieces. What else? I'm going to say this to my audience before we cut out. Anybody can get up every day and go to work or whatever it is that we do, and we can fail at those things, and many do on a regular basis. So just keep in mind that there's nothing wrong with taking a chance on what it is that you love and what it is that you want to do, because failing at that is a much healthier way of failing than at something that you hate. Mr. Williams, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to oh, help for having me to enlighten my audience and be a part of this show. The black factor, man, we are grateful. Thank you so Damn. much. And, uh, I'm, we're going to let you get out of here. Cause I know you got work. Right. Your work well, ethic right, is right impeccable. Quick, right quick. <laughs> Go I want to thank you for having me and congratulations on the black factor and, thank and you, writing brother. your books and, you know, I'm proud to see you doing your thing and staying committed and walking that hard line and doing that hard work, uh, putting these 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 issues in front of uh, society to be talked about and dealt with. And I appreciate you for having me. Absolutely. You have yourself a wonderful evening. Tell the family we said thank you for letting us borrow you for just a little while. <laughs> All right. We'll do. <laughs> and you have a good night, my brother. All right, man. Peace. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. The man himself, Kevin Wack Williams. I cannot say enough good things about the body of work that he's put out. I encourage you all to go to his website and check out some of the things that he has been doing over these many years and the amount of work that's out here for you to enjoy and to hang on your own walls and to give you inspiration on a daily when you wake up and there's his contact information. That's Kevin Wack Williams, www.artbywack.com. 
And just so you, just in case you wonder, a lot of people wonder this. They, they say, why do you call him Wack? Well, if you look there, that's his actual initials in reverse. It's W-A-K. That's Williams. I ain't going to tell you what his middle name is. And first name Kevin. <laughs> so that's his, his initials in reverse. So this is a complete breakdown and an opportunity for you to have to to be able to see what someone like this gentleman does on a regular basis every day of his life every day that I've known him and I don't know too many people who stick to their dreams the way he has I encourage each and every one to find their dream and pursue it stick to it live and die by it make it what it what you want it to be it's never too late I want to give special shouts out to the city of Chicago who raised us and made us what we are and an even more special shout out to the Palace. For those of you who don't know what the Palace is, that's Chicago Vocational High School, the place where many dreams were, were born and raised, the place where a lot of people were able to make a life for themselves. There was nothing like it that I'm aware of, and I wish we had more of them in the world. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, do not forget to take your opportunity to get your copy of The Black Factor, Available now, as always, my book at bmforbes.com. And, of course, we have many platforms now. In case you do not want to view the show on Facebook itself, you can always check me out on Periscope, Twitch, YouTube. And, of course, you can hit me on Twitter and make sure that when I do my show that it's worth watching. So I hope that having Mr. Williams on has given you something to think about, a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of motivation. So ladies and gentlemen, I am about to call it a night and I very much appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. You can get with us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at seven o'clock PM. And we always have good stuff to talk about. And we have a lot of fun on this show. Hit the like buttons on YouTube, hit your share buttons, check me out on Twitch, Check me out on Discord. Check me out on Facebook and Facebook business side. We're all there. Come on down, y'all. We out. Love, peace, and chicken grease. Thank you for hanging out on The Black Factor.